We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bob? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy us all. We move fast. Can you take it? No matter what you do now, you're still part of everything that's happened. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. We need more heart in motion pictures. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? Just put your lips together and blow. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell him. I just wanna say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? The boulevard of broken dreams. We're making another movie. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Welcome to the Sorted Cinema Podcast. This week we're going to be taking a look at 2021's A Quiet Place Part 2, written and directed by John Krasinski. My name is Patrick Murphy. Joining me as always is Ricky D. Seth Patrick. And also joining us is Simon Howell. Hello. And Simon, you chose A Quiet Place Part 2. We all need to know why. I did. Um, we're going to hear a clip in a second, so I'll keep this short. Uh, first of all, it's been a while since we've done a new film. I don't think we've done a new film since I've been back. Um, that's just how devoted we are to not reviewing new films. <laughs> no, that's that's we're, that's not actually it. It's just you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of older movies we want to talk about. Um, but also, I I never watched the first one, and I'd heard positive things about the second one, so I thought this might be an excuse to watch both. Um, and we're mainly going to talk about the second one. We'll probably reference the first one, but um, I don't know. I just I I think there's a lot about this whole series phenomenon whatever you want to call it that is super interesting and super germane to a lot of things we always talk about about uh trends and in, in audiences and trends in movie making and trends in storytelling i think there's a lot to get into here all right well before we go any further we're going to take a quick break and give you a clip from a quiet place part two That was a clip from A Quiet Place Part 2, again, written and directed by John Krasinski. So, Simon, you had a question for us. Okay. Well, so, yeah, I have a lot of theories, but first I have a question, and I want to see how much your answers line up with my theory. My question is, uh, a lot of people have made uh, a lot of movies, a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of American uh, 
Uh, a lot of American film development lately is uh, pre-existing, pre-existing intellectual property that is being uh, recycled and sequelized, etc. A Quiet Place is one of the very few pieces of new, recent intellectual property we can talk about how original it is or isn't uh, a little bit later. But it is new. It's not based on anything. Uh, and John Krasinski is writing and directing this stuff himself. Um, it is successful enough that there's already a third film in the pipeline and a spinoff uh, to be directed by... Uh, oh, shit. What's his name? Uh, the Jeff Nichols. Jeff Nichols is directing a spinoff film. No idea. They haven't said what the relationship is between those films and the spinoff. But clearly, it is a runaway success. So my question for you guys is, why are these movies so successful, do you think, mainly? Um. All right. So, Rick, do you mind if I go first? Sure. I just thought we were going to spend the next 45 minutes answering this question, but start. <laughs> I feel like I'm being given a test here a little bit. I'm going to try to, like, I'm not going like, to try to think about what, yeah, what you're, you're, answer you're high level... wants to hear. Your high level and your gut level instinct response answer. Uh, I think they're just good old fashioned uh, monster movie making, which has always, I think, been somewhat popular. It doesn't try to get bogged down in anything complicated. It's a very simple premise that is very easy to understand. Make a noise, you die. And that's a great just initial hook that audiences, I think they respond to stuff like that. Uh, they always have. That, some of the best movies have very, very simple hooks. And especially with a horror movie, like that's just perfect because we don't have to get bogged down in the lore too much. Although, you know, we'll talk about the second movie. The second movie starts to get a little bit more into the lore. And I'm sure the, the spinoffs and the third movie will as well. But I think what initially drew people to this movie was the simplicity of the situation. And then the the uh, pretty decent filmmaking craft from from john krasinski i think he, he knows how to, he made a very compelling uh, or i'm sorry uh, cut, that, cut that out he put very compelling images on the screen i think he knows where to point a camera and that helps so that that's my theory in a nutshell there in a nutshell yeah i mean like i said i think we're going to spend the next 45 minutes answering your question but the mm -hmm. difference between a quiet place and most horror films is when you watch a slasher film you basically understand that a dude or a few dudes are going to chase a few dudes and do that. And they're going to like get slashed to, to death by a knife or a machete or whatever it is. Right. There is, there's no real mystery in how the person's going to die. In this movie, like Patrick said, it's about, about the fear of making a sound because the, the creatures, the aliens react to the sound, but it's about how are they going to mess up to make that sound? And I think if you look at the first film, maybe the best scene in that movie is when Emily Blunt's character steps on the nail right before she's about to give birth and she needs to prevent herself from making noise. You know what I mean? It's 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 such an old fashioned mm -hmm. yet clever way to build suspense. And I think the director understands that. So it's not a horror film that that gets a rise out of its audience from blood and gore and great special effects from guys like tom savini for example it's not a, a, a movie that tries to shock an audience with say a really violent death murder action sequence it's a movie that that plays on our basic fears and what we just basically understand like anyone can understand the idea of if you make a noise so and so creature predator will know where you are and you're most likely going to die i mean 
it's 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 simple but the concept is really clever because how many times do i say this week after week simon we get more of a rise out of the sound in a movie than the actual visuals and this is a movie that really plays well specifically the first one it's a series it's a series of movies that really plays on the idea of sound and not using sound in the movie when i saw the first movie in the movie theater it was one of the great movie experiences of the past 10 years for me because everyone walked into the movie theater, for example, with popcorn and snacks and nachos and drinks. And yet you can sense nobody wanted to eat their food because nobody wanted to make a sound. It was like we were participating with the film. It was amazing. And you're right, Patrick. The filmmaking is incredible and it's shot on 35 millimeter. Of course, they're clearly using computer-generated effects for the creatures, but the creature design is amazing. I think the series as a whole, both the first film and the second film, has one major flaw, and I think it's the world building. But apart from the world building, I think for a movie that really focuses on a small family living in a small town out in the middle of the country, I think it's a really effective horror film. I think it does a really good job in building suspense, and at least with the first film, it really makes you care about the characters and the family. I do have issues with the second film. Can I just follow up really quickly? I want to add on something to my initial premise that, and you you just mentioned it, Rick. I think the other reason this movie is so successful to people is the um, the portrayal of the family unit. I think that that's just very comforting and old fashioned. That again, that's very old fashioned. I think if you had. And putting a family in danger, I think, uh, attaches people uh, just a little bit more emotionally to a story. If you had set this as something like, you know, Dawn of the Dead, where it was just a group of random people all thrown together, disparate personalities uh, in the exact same situation, which you could easily do with a a premise like this, it would not have been the big hit that it is. I think the fact that you have a couple adults, a couple kids, like that also just uh, really drives things home for people. Patrick, I was talking to Simon yesterday on the phone, and I told him, I think this was before Simon watched the first movie, I told him, to me, it's like as if Steven Spielberg grew up in this generation, and this was like his first movie instead of Duel or Jaws. Mm -hmm. But there's a filmmaker who did something similar not too long ago, and it's one of my favorite movies of, I think it came out in the 90s or early 2000s, but Signs, M. Night, same kind of concept, sci-fi horror film all revolves around the family dynamic takes place in the middle of like a farm in the middle of like rural America, just a really, really good, smart, clever, yet simple sci-fi thriller. Yeah. And also has kind of a dumb ending. So they really are quite similar. Um, I mean, I, I, I really like science science is I think a way better movie than either of these are. Um, so I have two things to say mainly. I mean, the first that, that I'm going to get out of the way right now is I think both a quiet place and a quiet place part two are perfectly decent little movies. Um, with basically the same problems a lot of the time, and then each have sort of their own strengths and weaknesses, and we'll get into those. Um, I'm so glad you mentioned the family unit, Patrick, because uh, that ties into one reason I think these are huge. But the only two that I'll stick to for now are, one, aesthetically, um, they're uh, very much in line with uh, sort of J.J. Abrams slash, you know, via Spielberg, uh, Family in Peril, um, you know, cl- uh, classic, classic scenario. You know, PG thirteen violence, monster movie type, 
type thrills. I really do think of these primarily as monster movies and not as horror films. For sure. Um, uh, I think that's fair. I don't think anyone would argue that here. It just doesn't, it doesn't have the menace and Hold darkness. on a second. A creature feature is part of the horror. I movie. know it's sort of it, but I mean, it, it, it's a little it, bit different though. Yeah. We're, we're, we're kind of, we're, we're, I'm splitting hairs here, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it has the weight of darkness that a horror film does. Like ultimately I feel these movies are optimistic, even though it does open in a very dark place. Right. It's somewhere between something like uh, the descent and tremors. Like it falls in between the tremors is, yeah. is a monster movie. That's and, not scary, but it I, does have tension. And I think these, these movies have tremendous novelty values still to this day, because especially Hollywood films are so overstuffed with dialogue. They're overwritten. They're overscored over edited blah 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 too much sensory overload so the second you have a movie that draw that draws a lot of that back especially in the first movie to a fair amount to a fair degree in the second one certainly compared to most other action horror whatever um so it, it's starting off at third base kind of in terms of the novelty value although it is being hurt for us because we're not seeing the second one in a theater or at least i didn't see it in a the theater some people may get to see it in a the theater i don't think any of us did um, i did not know there you go uh, so that's one thing. That's that's one thing I wanted to say. The second thing I wanted Wait, to sorry, say. Wait, sir, before you get to the second thing, what yeah. difference does it make if you saw it in a movie theater or not? I just think it's more immersive. Like that, that that experience that Patrick was describing and that you were describing to me, Ricky, about seeing it in a theater, people being uh, swept up and how quiet it is. Right, it's, it's, right. It's, because the reason why that I was ask, amazing. Yeah, but the reason why I asked is because you never see, you didn't see either in a movie theater. Correct, but yeah. there's a huge difference between the second film and the first film. The first film is loud; it makes noise. There's dialogue; people talk and have conversations. The second film relies on no, no like sounds. Like, oh, you mean? But it's I think you have that backwards. Uh, sorry, the first film. Yeah, the first yeah. film is the quiet yeah. one. Yeah. 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 Sorry, there, there's still, but still, by the standards of most movies, the second one is still pretty quiet. I would say. Uh, anyway, that's one yeah. thing I wanted to say. The second, second one's quiet, like playing Resident Evil 2 is quiet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm glad you brought up video games. We're going to talk yeah, about Yeah, I got to talk later. about that, but continue. Yeah. yeah. Second thing, I'll make it quick. Um, on the internet and in many other places, people are arguing about whether it's ethical to have children uh, in a climate where, I mean, like in the current... in general? Like right now or in this Like movie? right now, specifically now with what we know about global warming and mm-hmm. the future of the earth. You know, I'm not I'm not here to debate science or get an argument about that. I'm just telling you, people are arguing about it. It, it depends. Being... Are the children going to grow up to be cool or just like 99 percent of those? Bunch I, of idiots? What are the uh, odds of that, Rick? Yeah, right. Anyway, I'm, I'm not here to, to, to legislate the uh, the antinatalist versus natalist argument. Uh, I'm just telling you it's happening. It's it's a real debate people are having. And I think that it's reflective of the anxiety that many people feel uh, about the future. And I'm going to quickly tell a personal story which i never do on this podcast wow a few days ago i was talking to my mother i have a sibling who has young children and uh, my mother said to me you know uh it's it's brave to have children right now she said this to me unprompted i didn't say anything about it um this is a and uh, people are now asking is it brave to have children is it foolhardy is it uh moral um, and I think that this movie, I mean, this movie obviously takes a stance on that. This movie is absolutely pro the family unit, even though it's, you know, th- th- like every Spielberg movie, this is ultimately a movie about family values. Are, um, are we still talking about part two or part one or both? All of them. The whole thing. The okay. whole thing is as, as, a, as a project is pro family to mm-hmm. my mind. Yeah, part two carries that over for sure. Yeah. Um, so that's why I think these movies tap into the zeitgeist. In a way that I don't even think John Krasinski necessarily did on purpose. I I don't know if I agree with that because 
I've read a few interviews with him, and he clearly calls out specific movies and video games that he drew inspiration from, which were popular at the time. I mean, for me, A Quiet Place really feels like it belongs in the Resident Evil yeah. world. And for anyone who doesn't play video games, essentially Resident Evil is a very popular survival horror series. It's been around since the 90s. And the most, maybe not the most famous, but maybe one of the popular creatures in the video game are clickers. Mm -hmm. And clickers are exactly like the creatures in A Quiet Place, where they can't see, they are, I don't know if they, they are blind or they don't have eyes, but they can sense their victims, their prey, via sound. And they have very... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're, 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 they're just, the sense of sound is like it's heightened, right? And so, and then the creatures kind of look similar to clickers too. I'm honestly, I'm shocked that he didn't everything. have to pay royalties to them. <laughs> no, for real. Like, Wait, hold up uh, a second. Yeah. You're talking about lickers from Resident Liquors. Evil. I think clickers were from... Clickers uh, is from uh, Last of Us. That's right, yeah, yeah. God damn it, Patrick. I just, Which is also... He looks stupid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the whole lineage is really like... This is so tied into so many survival. But but but, but 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 like clickers are the equivalent of lickers in Last of Us. They they don't move like lickers. They're not but they're sort of similar. Like they the way like yeah, anyhow. The point is this movie really did feel like it was inspired more so by video games, like specifically horror video games. And you mentioned something to me over the phone. I think it was last night, Simon. You said that the second film feels like a DLC pack. It feels like it, an extension it, yeah. of the first movie, just like a video game would have DLC. It 100% feels like – it either feels like a DLC or an expansion pack of uh, like Half-Life 2 Episode 2, you know? Yeah. Uh, or like it's, it's, it's not Bioshock Infinite. It's Bioshock 2, you know? Yeah, that it's is like it's... such an apt comparison. You're mm. absolutely right. I never thought about that, but my God, it has that exact same feeling because it doesn't it doesn't yeah. necessarily feel like it needs to exist. It it just gives you more. It's all the same weapons. It's all it's the same creature design. <laughs> yeah, yeah you know? a, a bunch of bonus characters. You know, yeah, bonus characters, new yeah. weapons <laughs> to use. And for anyone who doesn't play video games, essentially, like a lot of video games these days, like the AAA titles, they release bonus content later on. You pay an extra fifteen, ten dollars, you get an extra free level, an extra costume, an extra character. But also, there's a lot of narrative-driven video games in which they release one chapter at a time. So you get like it's kind of like a TV series. You get chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. And so this feels very similar to that in terms of like the way it's structured. But at the same time, you could also draw a comparison to Halloween and Halloween 2. There's plenty mm -hmm. of horror films where the sequel takes place as soon as the first movie finishes. Yeah, I also thought about um, the, the the second film mimics the structure of the first one exactly um, in the sense that it has what you call a cold open um, at the end of which, you know, something ominous or bad happens. And then we have that same so the, the the title sequence in both movies is basically yeah. identical. Opens and it really does put you shot. in the yeah, and it and it puts you in the frame of mind of a television show. Like the first movie was the pilot. Here's the second episode. But but you know it's funny because the, I mentioned earlier the one problem I have with the movie both movies is the world building. And it's funny you mentioned the opening shot because the opening shot it opens with I think it's like the sidewalk and there's grass growing through the sidewalk as if to imply it's like a post-apocalyptic world things are falling apart etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's really like like day eighty nine I think like the first movie starts. No, it starts on day one. 
well day one but then like it, it fast forwards to day 89 like really quick is what i'm saying oh um, i know it's, four, it's day like 400 and something 479 yeah there you go okay so i have okay i'm gonna get to the world building in a second but i have a question i was so confused about this I could swear that both part one and part two open with day 479. How does that make any sense? Well, it's been like a day in like the, 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 the second film takes place. Like there is a time lapse at a certain point, but, oh, but the first movie basically takes place over what, like a day or two. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm thinking. Like, I think it opens with day one. And then when the kid dies, the youngest son, he dies on day 89, if I'm not mistaken, and then it gets to day 479, and then part two begins on day 479. Little bastard didn't even make it to three digits. Yeah, so part one begins on day 89 and then goes to day whatever, 400 and something. And then part two begins on day one, giving you some backstory, I guess. And then yeah. and then goes right to the, not quite the moment where the first one ended, because the first one ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger, like, oh, there's there's more coming. But it yeah. clearly is right after those more came, yeah. because the, the barn is still on fire. It's right after the events. Like, it's still the same day as the events of the end of one. You're going to want to keep those day numbers straight in your head for when he introduces time travel in part three. Oh, God. Can (laughs) can I just get... um, Can I just, like, address my issues with the world building just so I can vent and and move on? Yeah, I I have something to say about that. So it's, it's like, little small things, but it really bugs me. And I I feel like the person to blame is whoever designed the set, like, the person that's in charge of, like, the small details. Because, for example, even in the first movie, when the character Lee is in the basement, I think it's the basement where he keeps his radio equipment and he has the security cameras, et cetera, et cetera. There are newspaper clippings all over the room, right? And there's newspaper clippings that show what's happening in like China or Japan or like some other country or in a different city. And I'm like, it just, it was so weird. I'm like, if the world is being invaded so quickly by these creatures, how do people actually get to work, do their job, report on this, and actually print out newspapers. It just feels like little things like that, it felt a little too far-fetched for the world that, that he... Like, in War of the Worlds, it would make sense, I think. But it just... This all happens so fast, like, right away after a baseball game, which we discover in a second film. I understand that we're focused on a very small area in the middle of, like, I don't, I don't know where the movie was shot. I think it's, like, somewhere in New York City, right? I think it's in yeah, upstate New York. Upstate New York, New York yeah. exactly. That's where we're shot, and that's where it takes place. So I understand we're not seeing, like, Los Angeles. We're not seeing Paris and Tokyo and, like, you know. But they make it seem like the world is being invaded, right? Especially with those newspaper clippings. And there's a lot of things that that, that just, like, I feel like little a little thing like that becomes distracting. Because you start thinking about, well, how do they still have electricity, for example? How is the radio station still playing a, a song? Like, little things like that. And it's because of a simple mistake of putting those newspaper clippings in there, which opens up the movie to like a grand epic world scale of like this thing is happening all over the world instead of just focusing on this one small town and leaving us to think and ponder yes. about what's happening in, in a different city. Well, and I which think was something you... that Signs did very well, by the way. It kept away. Yeah. I yes. mean, it hinted at a larger I... thing, but very, very subtly. And I think part of the reason Signs is so good is because it doesn't have any fucking sequels. And I, I think the, the this the unfortunately for Krasinski and his uh, screen and his screenwriters for the first film, um, they kind of sowed the seeds of their own destruction right there in those early scenes because um, the the more the less we know about the surrounding world and about the aliens, the more compelling the story is. And part of the reason the the movie the, that these two movies are get to be so economical 
These are like a tight 90, 95 minutes each, which is one of the best things about them, by the way. Um, John Krasinski was very smart to keep the to keep the runtimes tight. But part of the part of the way he was able to keep the runtime so tight is that people are not sitting around and talking or signing or whatever, asking themselves, who are these aliens? What do they want? Where did they come from? Maybe we can reason with them or whatever stupid shit people do in movies about alien invasions. Because in real life, you probably wouldn't do any of that. You'd be figuring out how to survive. And unfortunately, the more the, the, the more the world of these movies opens up and the more characters we get, the more locations, the more et cetera, et cetera, the more that is inevitably going to become part of it. And you really get the sense that the answers are not that interesting. Yeah, and and that is my major problem with both movies. Just like the, like I said, the simple inc- inclusion of a newspaper clipping. But then you get to part two, and it sort of turns into The Walking Dead at one point in time, where it's yes. like, you know, it's about, we are the monsters. Look at these evil men. They're trying to, like, kidnap the girl and and kill the man. And then, like, it just, like, becomes too much like The Walking Dead. They end up on an island. It looks like the island from Lost. And then yes. all of a sudden, of, of course, the creature makes it to the island. And I feel like the sequel it's 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 funny how it's so different in the first movie where you you know what's coming it there's no big surprises i feel like he had an idea where he wanted to film two action set pieces and he wanted to go into the editing room and cut back and forth between these two action sequences a lot of cross-cutting going on yeah Yeah. a lot of cross-cutting going on the whole concept, the reason why you want to make this movie was just so you can have two major set pieces where you can cross cut between each set piece and the characters could be in a similar situation where they parallel each other, right? And that that goes back to the concept of how this feels like a video game because most video games, the, the, the developers have an idea for like a level and or a monster and or a functionality. And the whole game revolves around that idea. Like, they don't start thinking about story necessarily, right? And in in the sequel, it really feels like the whole movie revolves around these two major, well, it's really technically four set pieces because you have the first set and then you have the second set later in the movie. And I think that was really well done. Don't get me wrong. But the editing is, is very tight on this film. The editing is very tight. Like, the, in terms of like filmmaking, Part two, like part two and part one, but part two, because we're talking about part two right here, it's really well made. Like it's shot on 35 millimeter. It looks great. The lighting's great. The camera work is great. The camera placement, the camera compositions, the acting is pretty good. But I really do feel like if if you remove any one of those two action set pieces, you have like you have like a movie that's not very good, to be honest. Well, and I, I think that I think we can basically agree that virtually everything that like undermines these movies i think it's basically all at the script level like there's really nothing about the visual style the direction the acting uh that is that is weak uh i i think it is fair to say you know ricky you were talking about how you feel for the characters i'm not sure about that um i think the i to my mind the characters aren't even they're not so much characters as people that a set of things have happened to they're kind of like blank slates who are just sort of upset about life and upset about the things that have happened to them. Now, these actors are all very good, um, especially in addition we get in this film, which we'll get to later. Uh, they're all very good at portraying angst and uh, sadness and rage uh, that you would that you would have in a situation like this. And that's why I think the movies are, are, are so watchable on that level. But I mean, is there anything you can say about a character that isn't just 
what their situation is or like basically a thing about them like they're they're spooked or they're deaf or they're the mother you know not well, a lot I, I think there's I think there's more characterization in the first movie than there is mm-hmm. in this one and I I know you're going to bring up Killian Murphy and I I'll probably beg to disagree a little bit on on giving Ooh. him too much praise not that it was his fault but I, I will agree that everything's at the script level, and that includes Killian Murphy's character uh, that I have problems with. And I, I just think that the script stuff, because he expands the lore, it, it stands out more for me in the second one than the first one. The first one is just set pieces. But I do think there is better characterization. There are better dynamics in the first film than there are in the second one. And you can say that somebody is, for instance, uh, Lee, John Krasinski's character, is resourceful. I mean, that, that's a character trait. Uh, he's he's frustrated. He's uh, inquisitive. He's... Um, He's poking at every every single thing that he can do. He's reaching out by starting fires. He's trying to communicate. He's a, he's a guy that seems like he really want. He's a problem solver, and he can't solve the problem. Um, so and to me, that is an interesting. That's an interesting start for a character. Now they never really get too deep with anybody, but it was enough in in the first movie for me to latch onto. There wasn't really anything for me to latch onto in the second movie because of the way that it it, it focuses so much more on the larger world and what's happening. Uh, I was gonna say that's just that's a that's a problem that I, they're they're only going to get worse with I think and I, that's why I wanted to sort of ask you like going back to your original question like why have these caught on I'm not so sure that they'll stay that popular because I don't think that there is enough compelling lore here for people to continue following this the first one was a thrill ride it was a great you know carnival ride I don't think there's much more than that on these and if they try to get away from that carnival ride thing which they sort of did with the second one i mean he he had some set pieces but i you could debate whether or not they were as good as any of the set pieces in the first one outside that killer opening which i loved Um, so so the thing about the first movie though is i think it was really smart that they kill the young boy because that's when we start to really understand the family and care for them in the sense where it's about the dad and the sister dealing with grief and and guilt guilt and that's what it's about grief and guilt the thing is they kill lee in the first movie and i understand why and i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing but for these movies to continue for an audience to really be seriously invested in it as a franchise you need like a linda hamilton arnold schwarzenegger type of performance from these actors and characters like the terminator and like sarah connor now they can do something similar to emily blunt's character because in the first movie it ends with her basically like grabbing a shotgun and she's ready to like terminate all these like creatures that she's like totally badass in the second film they just go back to her just being a mom yeah but i just don't see it being a huge success because it doesn't have the star power of Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton. I and think that's the major problem with the franchise. I have to say it's a huge missed opportunity um, with Emily Blunt in this movie. And I mean, part of it is part of it is just the fact that so much of it takes place like so close to the last one that it's not really believable that she would have transformed into some, uh, you know, post-apocalyptic badass. Right um, after but, giving birth. <laughs> yeah. Right after giving birth. Like it, it would strain credibility, admittedly, although not much more than anything else in these movies, yeah. but it is a huge uh, missed opportunity that they don't get get a chance to tap into what we already know she's good at, which is, you know, badass action shit. She's done it in a half a dozen movies by now. Mm-hmm. Um, she's she's really good at it, and she barely gets to flex that muscle here. Instead, we get what turns out to be a stealth protagonist played by a totally different actor. Yeah, yeah. Very, very strange. And 
you know, and there, there's your Killian Murphy role right there. And there's there's definitely a, there's a similar focus on the daughter uh, in this one that there was, but unfortunately, the the hook with her isn't as good. It she was she was no. interesting to follow in the first movie because of the guilt storyline, you know, the, over the over the death of her younger brother, which she believes she may have caused, and you couldn't make an argument <laughs> that she did cause it. Um, but here it's not as much like no. just wanting to set out and be the hero isn't as good of a, a hook. So yeah, you the only person that has anything interesting going on emotionally is the Killian Murphy character. Well, yes, and, uh, but the, the son actually has more of a character arc in a sense where he actually grows as a character because in the first movie, this kid is like scared shitless. He's pretty much helpless. He doesn't do much to help anyone. Yeah, in the second film, he actually, I mean, he still makes mistakes. Don't get me wrong. Like he he locked himself inside the uh, the chamber with the baby. He's but a moron I feel, in this one. He's a moron, <laughs> but I feel like he's starting to at least have the courage. And I think it's because he has, um, you know, it's a it's a baby boy, right? Anyways, he has like uh, a younger so, sibling yeah. now, so that maybe he's that's going to help him mature and be more of like a guardian and, and like help you know his family survive. But yeah, like he's I don't the know, one guys. that's going to get his entire family killed. That's the I character so. in a movie that is going to blow it because he he is so dumb <laughs> and he's like he basically almost ruins everything because of because of pure idiocy. Hey, let's not, if as long as we're talking about characters who are stupid, don't let that baby off the hook. That baby needs to shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> the other weird thing, too, and I, I don't want to, like, nitpick with the actual, like, story and, like, the what-ifs, and, but still, in terms of, like, the world building, the fact that no one thought of using a weapon like sound on a creature who can only hunt you with sound. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why stay silent? Like, like clearly there's got to be someone smart enough out there, like the U.S. Army, the Chinese Army, I don't know, someone yeah. that understands that there's an easy way to kill these creatures. No, we need, we needed, we needed a pure-hearted child. We brought that up out. briefly before the podcast. Like, obviously, yes, there are people out there who would have figured this out. There, there would have, somebody would have captured one of these things. There would be experiments ongoing in some bunker somewhere where these things could not break through. If they can't get into that furnace, then, you know, there's, there's yeah. obviously plenty of places that are impregnable as impregnable as a furnace anyway. Yeah. Um, we're we're going to have to go to break pretty soon, but I, I think the way that it happened in the world of this movie, or maybe the way John Krasinski and co imagined it is like one person, like people kept figuring out, that you could just blast noise at them, but then they made the critical error of yelling to their buddy, hey, I figured it out! And then, of course, they got killed. <laughs> and then it just happened 10,000 times until a deaf child did it, and she didn't yell at anyone because she doesn't yell. And, but, and but... that, Rick, is where I think the lore is going to hurt these movies the longer they go on. Because the first one was so much fun, and, and it had a lot of logic problems in it. You could nitpick it to death, except it was a lot of fun, and so you just are willing to overlook that stuff. But the more they start to focus on these things, the more they start to bring these logic flaws into focus the the i have a feeling the less successful these movies are going to get um but anyway we should take a quick break um when we come back we will get into our five questions but before that here's another clip from a quiet place part two A bomb, I think. 
why he came all the way up here. There's nothing left. There are people out there. People worth saving. Most people had finally given up hope. That was another clip from A Quiet Place Part 2. We are at the portion of the podcast where we're going to ask our five questions and get a little more in-depth and some specific subjects here. Um, all right. So we always start off with the same question. Rick, we're going to go with you first. What is your favorite scene from A Quiet Place Part 2? Favorite scene. Oh, man. I I guess it's the scene that takes place in the radio station because i've said this before in the podcast so many times i've always wanted to make a horror film that takes place in the in a radio station it's one of the reasons why i like the fog i mean it doesn't take place in a radio station but you know the radio station plays a pivotal role in that film and i was like thinking when i watched the first movie because i love radio stations i'm like wouldn't it be great if they actually went to a radio station because they can use a soundproof booth and, and stay there for cover overnight while they hunt for food and water during the day until they figure things out, right? So oh my in the God, that's movie, brilliant. How come they didn't do that? <laughs> I don't know. So in the second movie, we finally get the radio station, which was great. And correct me if I'm wrong, but was that the second sequence in which we have two set pieces and there's a lot of inter- intercut crossing? Uh, yeah, yep. Because there were yeah. three, actually. For it, it, Two of them merged eventually, Um. Emily yes. Blunt and the and the boy Marcus, I think is his name. There's merged, but they're originally yeah. separate ones. She was in the store, he was near the furnace, and then the the daughter and Killian Murphy are out doing their thing. I'm just trying to remember how this played out because I've only seen this movie one time. To be fair, so they're in the radio station, and she needs she needs to get to the mix board, and then Killian Murphy's character sort of sacrifices himself. He doesn't die. But then what what was the what was the cross cutting? So Emily Blunt and Marcus were trapped in the furnace, but they couldn't close the door all the way. And so the thing was trying to get right. It couldn't get into the furnace, but it was clawing at them. And it was it stabs her in the in the thigh. And and they you know, they don't have a solution. They have their tra- they're cornered. They have no way to get out. And meanwhile, right. the daughter's at the radio station and Killian Murphy's on the floor wounded. So that that is why. So basically that sequence involving the son and the mom parallels the sequence involving the mom and the daughter in the first movie. So not only do we get the cross cutting between two action set pieces towards the end of the in the climax, but we get a callback to the first movie. There's a lot of callbacks in this film. Yes. And Simon, uh, you you watched them out of order, so you would not yeah. have seen all the callbacks, well, like the I, nail uh, I, and, and being in the pharmacy. That yeah, I mean, I could I could sort of figure out that there were callbacks and kind of sense what they were, but yes, there were some specific things that I only uh, got with the benefit of hindsight. Uh, the the only thing I wanted to say about what Ricky already said is I like I like a lot about the radio station sequence. I love the use of the setting. However, it does feature my least favorite shot in the whole movie. <laughs> Which is uh, when I think it's the daughter is climbing down uh, onto the, uh, the the control booth, and Krasinski and the set designers cannot fucking help themselves. They just had to litter the control booth and the table and the chair with every possible object mm-hmm. to ratchet up the tension. There's like cassette <laughs> tapes and papers and a jack in the box and a 
it's, it's just it's fucking ridiculous. Well, a half-eaten he, he, sandwich. And, you know yeah. why he didn't choose the first scene, the first the first sequence in which they cross cut between two action scenes? It's because it ends with Killing Murphy's character saying "dive." Is it "dive"? He learns he learns how to say it in sign language at the start yeah. of the film. Yes. So he, like, it's like okay, dude, like Chekhov's gun. We get it. Like clearly, this is going to play a major part. A major role in the film later on and i just thought it was too on the nose like well the only the only thing you learn is that one word yeah. and it helps save your life well, at the end well of the movie. actually to be honest i'm, I'm glad you mentioned it because the marina sequence is my favorite part, scene in the movie um for a few reasons first of all the dive payoff corny as it is to my mind that's exactly the, i mean the whole honestly it's kind of like science all of both movies is exactly like that they're all completely on the nose they all completely like every single thing pays off that is set up um and the dive thing i don't know it didn't bother me with how corny it was because these movies are fucking corny the reason i like the marina sequence it has some real menace um i re- i genuinely did not know uh especially because you know killian murphy had just been introduced to us you kind of don't know who's expendable and who isn't although you're pretty sure the kids are going to be fine and I like that for some reason they cast character actor Scoot McNary as Marina Man, who I don't believe ever says anything. He no, just kind of like do. glowers at them and is like really, it 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 kind of tricks you into thinking that the movie is going to be a genuine horror film and be genuinely horrifying um, for a bit. And then of course that sequence ends and nothing that scary ever really happens again. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, but I again. Thought, it- I was going to choose it, but the thought of putting Negan and his merman crew has my number one choice because he like that <laughs> that dude reminds me of Negan from The Walking Dead, except Negan, yeah, he yeah. has like a bunch of mermen as like his henchmen. Yeah, like, I mean, but I also love that like it's part it's part partially it's just because this is just what these movies are like. They're so economical that there just isn't time for more examples. But like, um, they have a they make a big deal out of Killian Murphy saying like oh it's awful out there and no one's worth saving and then we really only meet one group of bad people anywhere for like five minutes for like five minutes but but I will say I, as a sequence in itself I thought it was really effective and and we honestly don't even know what they're going to do no like, you gotta, maybe they're you gotta imagine what they're gonna do but maybe it's they're just gonna really have a hoedown like, I don't these know people, they eat the you know they're, they're cannibals or something like that like we have no idea. Like what their what their what their end game is. They just look menacing. For all we know, in another in another world, those people were perfectly nice. They just didn't want to say anything out loud, yeah, and, and they yeah. thought he was dangerous. You know, because they're walking around carrying guns on their dock and they're going to steal one of their boats. I mean, <laughs> I it, it, it would be it, it would be pretty funny if like they just got everyone together and they're like, oh shit, we're going to get executed, and then they're and then they just sit him down and Scoop McNary says, hey, you should know, they can't swim. We found that out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's never, like I said, there's never really. It's never really said that or set that they're dangerous. But I, I have, a, I have some problems with that sequence. I always find it funny when you watch a movie and the aliens decide to invade a planet Earth, but their weakness is water. Yes, which is also a problem with science. Yeah. <laughs> just another like reason why movie. there'd be so many people alive on the planet who live on islands and stuff that are just like just <laughs> fine. Like, did they make it to Australia? I don't know. I, I, it's it's. There's so many coastal cities, and I don't know. Man. I mean, to be honest, it would be more interesting. Hollywood screenwriters, here's a free idea for you. Um, Aliens land, they fucking love water. It's it's land and air they're not so great with. That was the abyss. Uh, that's, that would, and like, yeah, that would be a way, I mean, yeah, but that's like deep sea, right? I mean, like, yeah. think about the abyss meets Jaws, uh, meets a quiet place. 
yeah, come on, that's that's a license to print money. Listen, I spend a lot of time on TikTok, and I've seen all of those UFO videos. They all take place over the ocean, most most of which were released from like people in the Navy, and now the FBI is releasing those those like those like videos. So they clearly do like water. And the movies about that are on the way, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I, I like the way the War of the Worlds handled it because it was more it was more about disease. And, and Can I just say that that movie is amazing? War of the Worlds, Fox. It's amazing. I, I, War of the Worlds is the movie I thought of the most often uh, while watching this and just thinking, oh, I wish I was watching War of the Worlds. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, all right. So I'm going to pick the first scene because I thought it was the sharpest. Uh, I thought it was a good hook. It kind of got me into the movies again and into the world again. I, I Obviously, I don't really care about lore, but it was it's sprinkled in pretty light. It was a good little rampage. And again, yes, that was very War of the Worlds, like just running through the town and all that kind of stuff. Even the uh, way he runs, it's a very Tom Cruise run. Yeah, and everybody's going crazy and stuff is breaking and shattering. But I thought it was very, very well done and very well edited. I thought it was uh, it was really good. And it's the sort of like cutting the sound out every now and again to give you the perspective of the daughter and then having the sound just jump right back in and be all craziness. Uh, I thought I thought that was very well constructed. It, it hooked me into the movie initially, but I just sort of felt that, it, that that was the peak of the movie for me. And then it sort of slowly went down as as time went on even though i oh. you know i didn't think it was terrible or anything like that it was fine that, as a piece of entertainment but that was that, really good that reminds me of one other nice thing i have to say about both movies which is that uh john krasinski and company could have so much more horribly abused the concept of the jump scare than they actually do in these movies because yes. of the silence and the loudness and the deaf character they do it a little bit it happens maybe once or twice in the first one happens maybe once or twice in the second one but they don't abuse it, and I really appreciate that. No, and I think one of the very cool things they did was they, he made it so quiet that even a slight little sound, which would not be a jump scare, there is not. It still made you feel uneasy. Somebody mm-hmm. might just do something that was just a little bit of a noise, and it would make you sort of uneasy in the first movie, especially. Um, all right, if there was one thing that you could change about this movie, Simon, what would it be? Ooh um something i would change it's tough i mean obviously if i was going to change something i would go back to the first movie and get rid of the newspapers and then uh i don't but if i could only change it about the second one ah uh, that's that's tricky i guess i would really the most deflating part of the movie to me is when it ends because then you really like you kind of already feel it's the second chapter of a not complete story but then it ends and you really feel that, or at least I really felt that. Like I didn't feel like when it was over that it had told anything near what I would consider a complete story, which I realize I know they're, they're, they're franchise building or whatever, but the first one for whatever it's, uh, it's individual flaws are feels more or less like a complete movie. So if I guess if I was going to change something, I'd write a fucking ending. Yeah, I think that would have been pretty welcome. That might be a reason why I don't think uh, it ends on a very high note. I don't think they nailed a great ending like they did at the first one either. Ah, silly as the ending this. of the first one is, it's and it is very silly. It has that kind of upswing. It when has a finality. See, yeah, and when you see those things on the camera and she raises the shotgun, it's kind of like a, a you know fist pump moment, right? That's a good way to end a movie, even if it is silly. This one doesn't really have that that emotional peak. I, I didn't really feel all that much when they finally got the radio signal going. I didn't feel no. like, oh, something massive has changed in this world. Like I did with the first one, which was such a smaller change, but it massively changed their world. Um, this time, it, it, didn't, it didn't quite uh, do as much for me. 
Uh, Rick, what about you? What would you change? Oh, boy. I don't know. Maybe change the characters, which I know sounds silly, because I guess you want to still follow characters who are deaf. Because Kill then you can play Marcus. around with the sound. But... Kill Marcus. Yeah, because the thing is, I feel like they didn't really do too much to play around with the sound, apart from that opening scene, uh, the, the, pro, the, the prologue. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to think of the movie, and I feel like a lot of the movie was actually kind of quite loud compared to the first movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you see, see the thing, the thing about this film is, I don't, I don't dislike the film. I actually enjoyed watching it. I think it's a fairly like good horror thriller, whatever you want to like label it. I just wasn't blown away, and I think that I think the disappointment comes because I'm such a big fan of the first movie, minus maybe the, the last sixty seconds. I didn't walk away from the sequel thinking, wow, that was an incredible scene or incredible movie. I just thought it was okay. Like the first movie has like three great scenes and no bad scenes. This movie doesn't have any great scenes. It might not have a bad scene, but I don't know if I would say it has a great scene. It has great editing. It has some cool scenes. It has some cool scenes. It has great editing. But does it have great scenes? Okay. I thought of a way to rewrite the movie a little bit uh, just to make it a little bit more compelling. Maybe you agree with me on this. Maybe you won't. Imagine the opening sequence is the same. And then we cut to day whatever. And now we're starting with Killian Murphy. We don't start with the kids. We start with someone totally different since we're going to get him anyway. Yeah, that's what I'm and, saying. Follow different characters. That's what yeah, I just said and, before. And then, but, and then maybe, like, I think people wouldn't watch it unless the original characters were there. So maybe he encounters them later. Like, he encounters them halfway through the movie or three quarters of the way. And they say, hey, we're going to do this because it's the logical thing for us to do. We don't need all the buildup with them arguing about oh we should go to the radio state oh we can't no we'll split up blah 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 um because of course another part of the family values thing in these movies is every time they split up that's literally when everything goes wrong and we get multiple planes of action yes Um, and every time they hear some noise and they go out to investigate like marcus um (laughs) like the again dumbest character in the in the franchise uh you kind of stole what my change was going to be simon my thing was going to be killian murphy's character um needs was vastly underwritten in my opinion i would write his backstory a little bit better because unfortunately with a great actor like that he's only given about three expressions in the entire movie so we never get to really see him as a human being he's just constantly shell-shocked and that's it and worried that's the entire like that that's it for him the entire movie um yeah he really only has one facial expression which is beard it's very half-baked, his character is. And he does the best that he can. This is not his fault whatsoever, because I think he, he makes that character as compelling as humanly possible. There just isn't anything there. They gave him sort of a vague backstory, but I needed to see him be more of a human, to go through more of an arc. His arc isn't that great. Uh, it's very, very standard, and he doesn't get to ever have any moment of levity or anything to make me think that this is a guy that actually is going to go on living. Um, mm. even by the end, he doesn't seem particularly happy. I mean, so, Ricky, did, didn't didn't The Walking Dead yeah. do something like this, like in the second or third season, where they cut to a totally different character who just had a really really horrible time? I mean, the The Walking Dead did it in every single season, where they would follow a brand a bunch of brand new characters and or character, and eventually two, three, four episodes later, those characters, sometimes even three seasons later, those characters would eventually cross paths and meet. But, but I think we're all on the same page. I think we wanted to follow a different character, in this case being Killing Murphy's character. And yeah, you can still have the family make an appearance halfway through the film, and you can still play around with the sound and have those jump scares. 
But I think the thing is that because it's a quiet place, it would have been weird if they just focused on another family who just happened to have kids that were deaf because they did still want to have that feel from the first movie. But I think we're all on the same page. Like they could have still followed this character because he is in the prologue. We would know who he is in relation to them. He did live in the same town. He was a friend. Follow him. And eventually they they meet, I don't know, halfway through the movie in the climax. I don't know. He could have come to the farm. Their their b- barn was on fire, and he was one of those guys that lit fires from far away. He would have seen that, right, in theory, because he also lit a barrel on top of a high structure. So it, it, there's lots of ways that that could have happened. I guess I yeah. just I would have liked to seen him just have more to do, even if they followed the exact same structure. I wish they would have made him so half baked, where he's like when he when they first show up, he's ready to kick them out. He's such a hard ass, right? Like I don't care. You got a day. You got twenty four hours. You got to go by the by the morning. And then he's turned around within about five seconds after like she convinces him to go look for her daughter, which that didn't that wasn't too hard for a guy that was just willing to throw you all out to die. Also, who was watching you just run through his maze of traps and perfectly willing for you to die. Uh, until he saw that you could kill those things. Like, I don't know. They made the guy start out so harsh, but that was so empty and half-baked because he, he flips on a dime. Yeah, it's, it's and, so and, and easy. And then he's just boring. It, it, it just imagine, after the opening, you get, like, kind of uh, like, like the opening montage from Up, except it's Killian Murphy. His son dies. His his wife slowly dies, like the way he described in the film. You, 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 you get to see him watch them light the fire over and over. And he just does not care because he's totally blackpilled. And like actually seeing that would have been so gut wrenching. Okay, before we move on to the next question, I know how to solve this problem. What okay. they should have done was they should have had Graham, Merrill, Morgan, and Bo from Signs show up. Boom. There you go. <laughs> With the baseball bat. With the um, baseball bat. <laughs> All right. Oh my god. All right. MVP. We gotta we gotta get back on a, a more positive yes, note. Back on here. track. MVP of uh of Quiet Place Part Two. Rick, who do you got? I'm gonna go with the editor. I, I think I, look, I think the improvement here in terms of like comparing it to the first film, the improvement, because you are making a sequel, it's the editing. The editor did such an incredible job, and clearly, like I said earlier in the podcast, I feel like the entire film was written and revolved around the idea of having these action set pieces that take place at the exact same time so you can intercut between both scenes and build on the suspense that way the editor is michael p shaver by the way who uh hasn't done many movies basically has just worked with uh with ryan coogler he's ryan coogler's editor and uh then hopped hopped off the coogler train for the first time for this movie yeah he does a fantastic job i mean that's as good a pick as any uh simon do you got do you have anybody different in mind um, editor is, is honestly probably the correct choice. However, I'm going to choose Killian Murphy and I'll tell you why. Um, cause he's amazing. First of all, yes. Killian Murphy is a fucking great actor. Yes. Uh, he's never been bad in anything. He's by far the best actor to, I mean, uh, Digimon Honsu is a great actor, but he's in the movie for like three minutes. Yeah. Uh, that hardly counts. Uh, I, we can maybe talk about that at some point cause it is weird. Um, but Killian Murphy elevates the material i think which has been which as you said uh patrick as provided is very slim and he also represents personally for me a tremendous improvement over john krasinski john krasinski is not a bad actor i'm not saying he's bad it's just for me personally 
I do not enjoy, and this is a major impediment to my enjoyment of the first movie, I do not enjoy watching Serious Jim make serious faces with his serious beard for 90 <laughs> minutes. I just don't. It takes me. I can't get into it. It's my, it's my fault. But I think the smartest thing he did was kill himself off. Because I think maybe on some level, he kind of knows that people don't necessarily want to watch that for every every movie. It's funny because you say that as a fan of The Office. I never watched The Office, so I didn't have that problem. Oh, I, I mean, I... Uh, I mean, I, 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 I would never rewatch The Office. There's, like, you know, it was fine. Like, the first few seasons were pretty fun. It went on way too long. But the point is, I just, I don't know. It, even just through the memes, like, I just, I still just think of him as Office Jim. And I just don't want to look at that. And Killian Murphy is such a better actor than John Krasinski. So it's just a huge upgrade. I have to give it to him. I, I, I do like Krasinski as an actor. And I, I was able to get past him being Jim. The beard helped um, in the first one. So I, I actually really like him in the first one. I like I thought this movie was somewhat missing that character. But Killian Murphy is a much better actor, yes. And and he elevates this movie. No question about it. He elevates this movie. It's like, hard to look I, at anybody else when he's on screen. He's commanding. I, I mean, even though it is so undercooked, it is so underwritten, when he is talking about his family and what happened, and and more importantly, what he's not saying and what he's holding back, like I I was moved by that. I did feel that it was the only time in the movie I actually felt something. Yeah, I agree. There's very little actual emotion in this movie. Uh, I, I wish it was different, but I I didn't feel much of anything anyway. And I that's in contrast to the first movie. Um, yeah, I, I gotta go. I'm gonna have to go with Rick on this one though. The editor. I wish I had somebody else that I could say. Um. I don't think that Krasinski did a great job in this one, unlike the first movie, which I think he did a fantastic job. Um, I'm, I don't think the direction was quite as whip smart in this. There are some cool set pieces, no question about it. Uh, I, I like the direction on the, the train car. I thought that was very well done. Um, but then it's also there are problems, there are logic problems in scenes like that where I, where I just think, well, I don't know. I mean, here you got this deaf person who's crinkling paper and would have no idea that paper makes a lot of noise, just, just as much as a twig anyway. Um, yeah, so I, I don't, I can't give it to him. I, I got to go with the editor because at least everything's kept pretty tight. And I really yeah, do I, like the way some of the sequences are cut. Yeah. And uh, I, I would just, I, I would just add to that, like, we really can't overstate how big a deal it is, how short and tight these movies are. Like, it, it actually undermines them in certain ways, because like I said, it could have used a real ending. But I think that's another, like, it's a huge asset. Huge. Actually, you know. I was going to say this at the very start of the podcast. I was going to say I was going to give this movie bonus points just for being 90 minutes long. I would overlook, say, badly, poorly written dialogue and give it extra points for being 90 minutes long. 100%. Yeah. 100%. There are shallower movies that run much longer. So no question about it. Um, all right. I think you kind of already answered this one, Rick. The three great scenes and no bad ones. Howard Hawks test. Um I, no. I I think we were all pretty much in agreement on that one. Doesn't doesn't quite have it. Uh, is there anybody that that feels different? Simon, do you feel different? No, I don't. I mean, no, no great scenes. I mean, there's no real howlers for individual scenes of just like, oh well, that was bullshit. Um, I I I will say, I as as I understand it, the Digimon Hasu character was originally intended to be played by Brian Tyree Henry. Um, so clearly they wanted a black actor for that part, which I think I is... I don't even know who that is. He's on Atlanta, and uh, he's he's a, he's an increasingly very popular uh, black... Would you call him a character actor, comic actor? I don't know. He's great. You've seen him before. Okay. Uh, but clearly, yeah, I really get the impression they wanted a black guy for that, which is really weird, because again, he's in the movie for five minutes. But yeah, I wouldn't call any of that stuff bad. I call it weird. 
and like questionable, but like maybe maybe bad. they already had the kids cast and they they just sort of oh that's it. possible that's possible maybe I don't know yeah weird anyway it was weird but yeah not bad yeah there's nothing that's you know that sticks out but the problem is there's nothing that sticks out either way so I, yeah. I wouldn't say that it has a single great scene I, I like the opening the best but I, it's not going to be anything that I'm going to remember very long. Um, unlike the, with the first movie, which I can, you know, I saw that two years ago and I can still recall pretty much the progression in my head um, from major sequence to sequence. So normally we sort of ask about the movie going forward. And I know we all hate that question. Or the, I mean, we could easily say, like, what was it? What stands out in the most of this movie? I think we can circle back. I, I kind of like the idea of circling back to where does this franchise go from here? Like, say, OK, mm-hmm. say they had to write the ship. How would you write the ship on this one? Well, I think not that, that, not that anybody's going to take our advice, but no. Well, yeah. It, it, first of all, yeah, they'd go back and uh, get in a, get in a time machine and fix the movie the way we said they should. Um, but other than that, I mean, it kind of seems like forget a quiet place part three for a moment, which I assume will happen, and I assume will be a John Krasinski joint. I kind of think they're already doing what they should be doing, which is giving the reins to someone else, and I guess looking at a different corner of this universe, which is what I gather Jeff Nichols will be doing with whatever the fuck his spinoff is. Um, which is kind of funny because this movie feels like a backdoor pilot. Um, like it's, it's like, I don't know if people don't know what that means. It's like a successful TV show gets to a certain point where they want to pitch a spinoff to the network. So they use an episode that is referred to as a backdoor pilot where they introduce a new and important character, sort of like Killian Murphy is in this one. And then kind of, kind of, it's there to say, Hey, would you watch another uh, another iteration of this universe but this guy is at the center of it and of course the walking dead has done this a bunch of times uh and it's not clear to me whether killian murphy is involved in the jeff nichols thing or not but uh i would happily watch a jeff nichols movie starring killian murphy set in this universe or someone of a killian murphy caliber uh but preferably with a more more of a micro focus uh and a little bit more diversity in terms of i don't know whether it's the creatures or the setting or uh something it's it's they need to mix it up a lot but they need to do it in a way that doesn't rely on their frankly uh corny and risible world building so i actually was discussing this with my nephew because he just watched alien and aliens and he just so happened to watch a quiet place and a quiet place part two and i was explaining to him that like alien is like a true horror film takes place in space it takes about an hour or so for the real terror to kick in. Whereas part two is like a straight up action movie right away from the opening. There's like that horrific nightmare sequence and he jump into the action and you get part three, which is like a prison film. And so they're all very different in terms of tone, in terms of the premise, in terms of the setting, but yet very similar. Right. And so I think you're right, Simon. I, I think changing the setting would be a good start. The thing that the question is, do you need characters in the film, given the fact that it's a quiet place? Do you need characters in a film who are deaf in the sequel? I don't think I don't so. think you can regardless if they're deaf or not. You just you, you're not supposed to make noise. Well, let, let's assume that the third movie is indeed going to follow Emily Blunt and the other and her two kids. Well, three kids, I guess, though. I don't know where the baby will be. Maybe they'll have it grown up by then or something. But let's just assume that that's going to be the case. Like, what do you do with those characters now? Okay, How do they become even more heroes? She's blind, so then you can play with the picture and the sound. The picture goes black, <laughs> there's no sound. Well, 
Well, honestly, I think having exploring what it would be like for a deaf character in a situation like this would be very interesting. But the movie doesn't really do that. It doesn't. Okay, no, no, I figured it out. Navigate it, no problem. I I figured it out. In the third movie, they get a time machine, and they go back in time, and they find the only person who can truly who can truly know how to conclusively defeat the the monsters, and that's Helen Keller. she'll figure it out <laughs> uh yeah i don't know where the third movie goes with those characters the spinoff sounds like a great idea but as far as the main franchise goes i'm not sure i i think you you can't take it back to basics because you've already no you let the need cat out of the bag the man. Setting. it needs to be a change of setting because look the characters aren't interesting enough to follow for a third film no offense but they're gonna be well there. they haven't been made interesting enough yeah like emily blunt is totally up to the challenge of making the character interesting, but they totally blew it with the second movie. She gets nothing to do. What What if it was like, are they going to go into some sort of like a resistance group versus Skynet type deal where, uh, you know, Emily Blunt and, and her kids are going to be leaders of some band of misfits that's going to take on these things? The number one thing that any sequel or spinoff has to do, this is 100% crucial and I'll be shocked if they don't do it. They need to diversify those fucking monsters. We've had two movies where the aliens are just, there's one model of alien, they behave the same way, they do the same things, they have the same weakness. They're going to have to modulate that in some way, even if all they do is eliminate the weakness. Uh, there's got to be something. Yeah, I mean, the first movie was was a much lower budget, but this second movie, they got a big injection of cash. And so, uh, you know, that the, there, there should have been a little bit more on there. They certainly showed the monsters a lot more. They, but they I will could've... say the, the effects aren't any better in the second movie than they are in the first one, despite the despite the cash injection. No, there's just more. There's more of them. Yeah, I don't know, man. The baby looked pretty real. <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad they couldn't CGI in Marcus's performance. Um, sorry, I'm going after a kid. That's, that's, that's sorry. No, no, no offense to Noah Jupe. I'm sure you're a lovely boy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it, Wait, it's fine. It's not, it's not really your fault anyway. Who? Um, what? That, this, and again, the is kid the, who plays Marcus. It's the script and the, and the direction, too. Like, uh, but actually, uh, we haven't really said anything. And uh, special shout out to Millicent Simmons, who plays Reagan, the deaf kid, who is also, you know, deaf IRL. Uh, she's great. She's really, really good. Yeah, she again, she does as much of her character as she can. She's just not given a very compelling arc in this one. I thought she was she was given something interesting to do in the first movie and not so much here. No, uh, she's just one. Her character is that she is determined and she is deaf. Yes, she's just played a minute. That's all. Only she's deaf? The boy isn't deaf? Right? Okay, there's a confusing moment in the beginning of the movie where the boy signs to the mom, hey, dad's coming. And for a second, I I had to look it up. I was like, wait a second, the boy's not deaf. He's just being quiet. But why? Everybody else is yelling. (laughs) They have no idea that sound plays an issue at that point. Because they're just used to being He goes to the waterfall, and they start screaming and yelling, and they have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, and he talks in this movie too, but uh, but for some reason they had him sign there. Even, like I, I, it made me very confused. For oh yeah, I, I see what you mean. It is, it is, it is a little, it's a little odd. But I'm sure there's a reason that I'm. So just, just to be right clear, now. the boy is not deaf. No, he's correct. Not yes. In real he's life, just a pussy. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on that I think note. That's, I'm going to leave it on that. I'm going to leave it there. Yep, on that note, we should probably <laughs> wrap things up here with A Quiet Place Part 2. Um, all right. 
I think we can skip the online things for me and Simon and go straight to Rick. Where can people find you? Where can people find the podcast? Do you think that the kid would provide any feedback on set? Like, why is my character acting so stupid? I think he's happy to be there. Yeah, I think everyone's just happy to be there. I, I guess. Do you think Emily Blunt was annoyed that her husband didn't give her Simon, anything to Simon, you know do? what I think about when I watch movies like this? I think about what? all the poor dogs and cats. That's true. A lot of dead dogs in this world. Because I don't see they can't, how... I... They, dogs can't shut up. They, they're too stupid. Yeah, they yeah. never showed what happened to that dog that was barking in the opening. Anyway. Anyhow, <laughs> you, can, um, you can find the podcast over at SortedCinema.com, which will redirect you to Goombastomp. Uh, now we've blended both sites and the podcast. It's all over Goombastomp.com. But again, the easiest way to find everything is SortedCinema.com. You can find all of the episodes, the links to where you can listen to the show. You can follow me on Sorted Cinema. It's on YouTube. It's on Podbean. It's on Amazon. It's everywhere. Sorted Cinema. That's what you're listening to right now. The podcast is called Sorted Cinema. Google it. <laughs> yeah, you'll find it pretty fast, actually. You can leave all a review right. too if you want. What's that? Or, or don't. If you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> That's what my mother always taught me. It's a good rule of thumb. All right, that should wrap it up. Uh, guys, uh, we've got a little bit of a choice here. I think I'm picking next week, right? Ooh. Yeah. Are you picking old? Well, I, I, I could go really old because there's no, a nice little anniversary. Movie. There's a nice 75th anniversary that's coming up in August here. Um, so I'm going to give old, you guys a choice. Old the movie. Oh, old the movie. No, no. Oh, God, that would be hilarious. Oh, I kind of oh, want to well, pick that movie. I might next, so be warned. What's that? I might, it, might, it might be my next pick. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Oh, I can't I am, I'm, I'm terrified I, of getting old, so... I love funny. I love watching Shyamalan movies now. The Visit was one of the most hilarious movies I've seen in a long time. Do you like, know that... I, I don't know what do that you know guy's going to do. The first argument Simon and I ever had in life was on our first M. Night show. What was the, what was the show? Well, we reviewed all of his first six movies. And oh my god. I think we, we, used to, we were so happening. dumb. We were so dumb in the early days. Oh, man, are you kidding me? It's so fun to talk about M. Night movies. Wait, which ones did you argue over? Every single one of them. Oh. <laughs> Except for Signs, apparently. You both like Signs. Yeah, but we still argued over Signs. Of course we did. I, I used to love to argue. Now I am i don't love to argue anymore. All right, we'll argue over this. Either it's going to be The Big Sleep. Come on. Any takers? Which version of the big sleep? Yeah, oh, the the Bogart version. Oh, it'll be the theatrical cut. We got to go theatrical on this one. No, I, I thought you meant like. Do you mean the Robert Mitchum one from the seventies? Oh no, no, we're gonna go with the the Bogart one, the theatrical version, not the director's cut that was much more like palatable. Okay. I guess. What's the, the other story. option? Uh, the other option would be Psycho Three. Ooh. Psycho Three would be fucking fun for real. All right, let's go with Psycho Three then. I think that would yes. be a fun one. All right. Uh, I've never the, seen it. Oh, all right. Yeah, well, it'll be it's a, it's an interesting movie. <laughs> all right, that should do it for this week and we will be back next week then with Norman Bates.